Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and I am by myself today. I still wanted to say that Charlie was across from me, but he is not. He's not here. I'm here by myself right now. It's not his fault, really, today. We had some snow in Nashville, and anytime any type of winter weather comes through, they cancel school. So Charlie ended up having to take care of his kid today so it's okay maybe maybe we don't have to make fun of him too bad for not being here today we can just make fun of him for other things well once again this is good morning liberty we talk about life liberty and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to whether charlie is here or not so make sure you smash that follow button and leave a rating and review on apple and spotify make sure you go do that so over the happy new year everyone Happy New Year, by the way. Forgot to tell everyone that. It's 2022. All right. That's crazy, first off. But we made it. I remember thinking, I remember a lot of people saying at the end of 2020, like, hey, get out of here, 2020. It's time for 2021. I'm sick of this. And of course, 2021 ended up being a total bleep show. So we all have to remember 2022 could be worse we will see this is an election year and we're coming up on the one year anniversary of j6 so we will see what is going to happen with that but you guys know this covid thing it's been going around just a little bit Uh, i was going to ask let me see was tom still in here i want to make sure tom are you feeling better i know you had covid uh amanda said she had covid i think the the whole group is coming down with of course we got a whole group full of anti-vaxxers in here so everyone's getting sick and uh let's see tom's got it he went out running today okay miles uh, got engaged over the break congrats to miles go ahead and say that on the show too Con- congrats to you all right so uh, what i'm noticing is an overall narrative shift because what we're seeing is uh, people are just going to get COVID. All right, That's going to be a basic idea here for the first part of the podcast. People are going to get it. They're, they're going to get the Omicron variant. The thing is spreading like crazy. I don't think that we can deny that. Vaccinated, unvaccinated, this thing, it doesn't care. It's just going to infect everyone. And we're seeing the narrative shift because if you're, if you're still on the idea that we're going to stop this thing from spreading... You're going to lose. You're going to lose that argument. And so now you got to get on the right side of the argument, which is, okay, it's spreading, but let's pay attention to the hospitalizations and the deaths and stuff like that. Or if you're Biden, you could say stuff like, well, the federal government, they can't really do anything about this. This has to be done at the state level. So you got to start shifting some blame and saying that it's the governors that need to take care of this. So the CDC shortening the quarantine time. They're saying that cloth masks don't work. I see this big potential misstep from CDC. They said that you could do the five days and you didn't have to take a test. That's because the PCR test can stay positive for a long time. But now they're maybe mentioning that uh, you might need to have a rapid test because that could show a negative one. So they might be they might be changing those guidelines that they just put out there already. Anyway, listen. You can either look at this as the world is ending if you're looking at cases, or you can look at this and you can say, actually, uh, things are not all that bad because we don't have a whole lot more people dying. It's at least not corresponding to the amount of cases that we're having. Let's go over some of the 
some of these graphs. We're going to look at a couple of graphs because I got an email from the New York Times this morning and it was entitled, A Reason for Hope. That's right, from the New York Times. Even though all these cases are skyrocketing, they are trying to throw out some hopefulness out there. They're trying to shift people's minds away from the amount of cases and instead looking at the amount of deaths and hospitalizations, which is something that we've been saying we needed to pay attention to this entire time. But let's look and see what this, how this first started. So this is up to December 31st, 2020. So this is what 2020 looks like. And you see this graph of cases right here. So just kind of picture this in your mind. And then when you switch to the graph of deaths right here, you see that it kind of matches the graph of the cases. So, so that is kind of what people think when they think about these cases. All right. That's not what we're seeing right now. That's the important part. That's not what we're seeing. I'm going to read a little bit from this. All right. They said the, the emergence of Delta, Delta meant that 2021 often felt like a frustrating year in pandemic purgatory. In addition to the direct damage from COVID, the disruptions of daily life intended to slow the spread of the virus have brought their own costs. Children have fallen behind in school and many are exper experiencing mental health problems brought on by isolation. Americans' blood pressure has risen and drug overdoses have soared. This is coming from the New York Times. Like I said, they're shifting the narrative just a little bit right here. Let me see what else they put in here. Now, inside of this, this is where they want you to feel hopeful. Let me put this bigger up here on the screen. Let's put this bigger right there. So right here, this is why they want you to feel a little bit more hopeful. This is the cases since December here just skyrocketing straight up right there. Hospitalizations go up just a little bit following this deaths not really following this thing very much right now so we're starting to see a divergence between these two things so they're trying to get people's minds right because the way that this started when this when this first started when you have more cases that meant that a couple weeks later you're going to have a corresponding amount of deaths hospitalizations and deaths after that and that tends to not be the case anymore now that's a good thing if you're someone who wants to look at the positive side of this, you could say, well, Omicron, that's spreading like crazy. A lot of people getting cases. But does it matter if people aren't being hospitalized and people aren't dying from it? Are we really just talking about people getting a cold? And then you wonder the people that are still spreading all of this alarm over this whole thing. What is it that they really want? Is it that they want to stop the cases because they're worried about the hospitalizations and deaths? Is it that they want control? You tell me. I can't really tell you exactly what that is, but we're getting some interesting information here. Uh, let's just look at South Africa real quick. This is the good part. Here's this, the same kind of graph right here from South Africa. Now, they're the ones that had the Omicron wave first. This is where it supposedly first came out of. Let's look at this graph right here. So you see their amount of cases that just spiked up. And I mean more than they had had on their previous waves. This was their fourth wave right here. More new cases than the previous waves, Delta, the OG, COVID, all that way more. Now, let's look at their deaths during this time. Now, that right there looks just a little bit different. All right, let's go back to the cases right here. Big old spike right there in deaths. Not very much. So once again, what are we all getting panicked about? 
Now, there is, there is an argument that if we have millions and millions of people that have COVID, that a small percentage of those people are going to end up needing to be hospitalized. And if you have so many more cases than normal, then won't that, even if it is a smaller percentage, equal the hospitals being overrun with people? I don't know. We had all of this talk about hospitals being overrun. Of course, gunshot victims were having to wait outside in the lobby, bleeding to death in uh, Oklahoma or wherever it was, according to the Rolling Stone. So I don't know. Maybe we're going to have that happening again. We'll talk about what we could do to maybe get around that. All right. But let's keep going in this New York Times thing. The emerging evidence suggests that Omicron really is milder than the earlier versions of the coronavirus. In South Africa and England, as well as New York, San Francisco, and other parts of the U.S., hospitalization numbers are lower than doctors had feared. You don't say the hospitalizations are lower than what the doctors have feared. Yet when the current surge begins receding, it will likely have left a couple of silver linings. This is once again from the New York Times. Think about this narrative versus what we were hearing a year ago. Omicron is so contagious that it will have infected a meaningful share of the population increasing the amount of COVID immunity and helping defang the virus. Now, right there, they had to say increasing the amount of COVID immunity. What's another way of saying that? I don't know. I can't think of any other ways of saying that. Maybe something called a... I can't even think of any other. There's not any other words for that. But what what the New York Times is conspiratorially putting out there to the masses, to the millions of people is that if you get COVID and you survive, that you might have some immunity left over that could protect you from the next wave of infections. Now, this is some crazy stuff not rooted in science whatsoever, and I'm surprised no one's ever brought it up before. But it's an interesting idea that they're throwing out there, that that it's so contagious and it's not very deadly that a lot of people could end up having this weird thing called COVID immunity. I don't know, maybe there's other words for it. But endemic disease does not need to dominate life the way a pandemic does. It does not need to cause the sort of social isolation and public health problems that COVID has over the past two years. If the U.S. reaches that point in 2022, as appears likely, the next year will feel a lot more satisfying than this one. So just think about that narrative changing there from the New York Times. I'm happy to see them changing. I just wish they would have done it quite a long time ago or not making fun of and censoring people that have been saying these same things for a long time. That's kind of the danger of deciding that you're going to censor people's opinions is that eventually when you come around to that opinion, it gets a little bit awkward, just a little bit awkward for the people that have been saying this the entire time. Now, here's some stuff on the vaccines and how this has been going. I will preface this. With there is a little bit of a sample bias because a lot of these populations have a lot of people that are vaccinated. So when you look at the people that are getting COVID and a majority of the population has been vaccinated, then it is likely that a lot of the people that are getting it are going to be vaccinated. Although I, I really wish we could somehow create a vaccine that stopped you from getting something, but I know that's too much to ask. Here's a few things. 96% of all the Omicron cases in Germany Germany are among vaccinated. The respect of the, let's see, the Robert Koch Institute, so you can't trust this really at all, reported last week that among the 4,200 Germans infected with Omicron, 
from their vaccination status was known, 95.58% were fully vaccinated. More than a quarter of them had booster shots. Given that the overall back, uh, background rate for vaccination in Germany is 70%, this means that the shots now have a minus 87% effectiveness rate against Omicron. They're saying that the, the actual either natural immunity or not vaccinated had a higher effectiveness rate than the people that were vaccinated. Now, there's other, let's just talk about all the potential points from this. There's... Uh, there's something that can happen when you think that you are safer than you actually are. You're going to act a little bit different. There's a little, there's a little bit of a, of a hazard that is created by this. I'm vaccinated, so therefore I can go to these parties. Therefore, I can go and be in large groups of people. Therefore, I don't need to wear my pointless mask. Or therefore, I can finally let people cough in my mouth again like I used to in 2019. You start to think that you can do all of these things and therefore you could end up having higher amounts of people that are vaccinated getting the infection if it's not protecting from Omicron. But that's not the only place where this is happening. Omicron among the vaccinated is outpacing unvaccinated by 28% in Ontario. The government of Ontario posts continuous data on on case rates by vaccination status. The fact that the vaccinated have rapidly overtaken the unvaccinated and new infections demonstrates a clear negative effect of the shots against Omicron. And we'll talk about some of the data they have so far about the shots against Omicron. In Denmark, 89.7% of all Omicron cases were among fully vaccinated, whatever they define that as. I think that's two shots plus eight boosters among fully vaccinated. Just kidding. That's not what it actually is. As of December 31st, just 8.5% of all cases in Denmark were from unvaccinated people, according to the Statins Serum Institute. Overall, 77.9% of Denmark is fully vaccinated, and Omicron seems to hit younger people for whom there is greater unvaccinated pool, which indicates clear negative efficacy. Even for non-Omicron variants, the uninjected composed only 23.7% of the cases. 25% of the Omicron hospitalizations in the UK are unvaccinated. 25% of the Omicron uh, hospitalizations in the UK are unvaccinated. That would mean that 75% were vaccinated. Not only are vaccinated more likely to to contract Omicron, but they are likely more at risk to be hospitalized. While American hospitals put out unverifiable information that nearly everyone seriously over COVID is unvaccinated, the UK continues to put out quality continuous data that shows the opposite. 33 of 34 hospitalizations in Delhi Hospital were vaccinated. 33 of 34 of the hospitalizations were vaccinated. The Indian Express reported that 33 of 34 people hospitalized for Omicron Uh, In the hospital were fully vaccinated. Two of them received the booster shot, while some of them were international travelers. It's important to remember that India has a much lower vaccination rate than the the West. There's another small indication that not only might one be more likely to get Omicron after having gotten the shots, but possibly could be more vulnerable to hospitalizations. That's a big possibility. We don't have all the data on that so far. 
Vaccinated are exponentially more likely to get reinfected with COVID. A new preprint study from Bangladesh found that among 404 people reinfected with COVID, having been vaccinated made someone 2.45 times more likely to get reinfected with a mild infection, 16 times more likely to get a moderate infection, and four times more likely to be reinfected severely relative with someone with prior infection who was not vaccinated. So obviously we're just throwing a whole lot of terrible conspiracy theories out here. It's not like that's from any study. Now, that's a preprint study, okay? Hasn't been peer-reviewed, anything like that. So what are we hearing from all this? The vaccination's not exactly working against Omicron. That's really what we're hearing. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second when it comes to things like mandates. Maybe that's pretty important. Maybe it is important in how we treat people in society as, uh, you know, whether or not they are vaccinated, when we're starting to get a lot of data suggesting that it really doesn't matter. It just really doesn't matter at all. Actually, it could be a, an adverse. So here's an interesting here's an interesting point. I thought that this extreme point was pretty good. Nearly two-thirds of an Antarctica station, two-thirds of the Antarctica station researchers got COVID, despite being fully vaccinated, passing multiple tests, quarantining and living miles from civilization. Not just miles, by the way, a, a whole lot of them. There's a whole bunch of miles Two in Antarctica. I don't know if you guys know that, where it is, it's at the bottom. It's uh, pretty far away from a whole lot of stuff. So nearly two thirds of the staff based at the Princess Elizabeth Polar Station in Antarctica have been infected with COVID-19, despite having strict health protocols in place to try to stop the spread. Since December 14th, 16 of the 25 workers at the station caught the coronavirus. I mean, just imagine the odds there. There's hardly anyone there. The first case was a researcher who had arrived at the base seven days earlier. So that's obviously the person who brought it with him. The infected researchers were put in the quarantine following the positive test. There are two emergency doctors at the station. The spread of, the COVID of COVID-19 was surprising for many since all of the researchers were fully vaccinated. The scientists also had to take several PCR tests and quarantine before traveling to the polar station. All right, the researchers who are at the station currently had to undergo a PCR test in Belgium two hours before leaving for South Africa and then another PCR test five days after arriving in Cape Town as well as 10 days of quarantine. And they still brought the thing in there. So are you... Uh, do you know anyone else who's going through those kind of strict protocols and quarantines and just in that little small group of people? What I'm saying is uh, we're not going to stop this thing right now. And that's why you're seeing the narrative shift all the way at the top. And I'm talking New York Times. I'm talking Biden a little bit from Fauci. Uh, a lot of people up there at the top, the CDC, they're starting to change because if they don't, they're just going to be on the complete losing end of this war on Omicron. So they got to get out in front of it and start talking about how, hey, we're all going to get it. OK, just uh, just get over it. Now, when you think about how seemingly ineffective this vaccine is against Omicron and, of course, Omicron's uh, the dominant strain that is out there. What does that tell you about the vaccine mandates that we have that we're pushing. We still have the Supreme Court hearing arguments this week where the government is forcing any employer who has more than 100 employees to make sure that those people are vaccinated or get rid of them or pay a massive fine. If they want to be unvaccinated, well, maybe they got to wear a mask or they got to take weekly tests, stuff like that. But of course, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. 
But now we're seeing that people that are vaccinated are getting this thing and spreading it just like everyone else. Actually, a little bit more. Oddly enough, a little bit more. Isn't it crazy how just how far behind the government is on this? The, the virus is moving faster than the government right now. Because by the time they actually make a decision on this, let's say it were to be held up that this was actually going to go through the courts and it was going to be okay. They're going to be forcing a vaccine mandate on people for a vaccine that now has no proof of it working against the dominant strain of COVID out there at all. The mask not helping whatsoever. And the fact that the people who are vaccinated are catching this thing and spreading it just like everyone else is. But we're still just going to act like the vaccine mandates, the super important thing that's got to be that's got to be passed so we can save everyone's lives. How much how effective is this thing right now? The newest studies I saw were showing between between for two shots of the this is not a booster. This is two shots against Omicron. Zero to 20% efficacy. Zero to 20% if you have two shots. Now, if you had the booster, the same study was jumping that up to 50% efficacy. But what's the vaccine mandate going to entail? Is it going to entail that booster? No, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to include whatever it was, you know, months and months and months ago when they started the thing. That's, this is the bureaucracy moving nice and slow. The CDC coming out here saying that the cloth masks don't work. You got to stick to your uh, KN95. That's what you got to have. But of course, that's not what people are really doing. They're just wearing their virtue signals out there for everyone that at this point, literally, we've got no, no signs suggesting that they work. The signs that suggest mask work were done in a laboratory setting with people wearing them perfectly. We've got no signs saying that these things work whatsoever. The people are trying to catch up right now. Amanda said, wait, I thought it was 97%. I know that she was being sarcastic. It's Yeah, there's 97% of 1%, like Jeff said. That's, a, that's actually what's happening. All right, and then this interesting article from the Wall Street Journal. Now, this is some more positivity for you on your first show of 2022. But it's an interesting positivity that I think a lot of us might agree with. The Omicron variant may end up saving lives. And you talk about a narrative shifting. We got this article from the New York Times. We got the Wall Street Journal saying that the Omicron variant may end up saving lives. So this the the uh, question this person's asking is, should they try to catch Omicron to try and advance the cause of herd immunity? And they said they've already had it. They've already been vaccinated. But should they try and get Omicron that way can, they can up their immunity? They end up saying that, well, I'm not going to try to catch it. But if I do, it's not going to be the worst thing. So jumping in here, they said one measure of a pathogen's lethality is the case fatality rates. The 28-day average case fatality rate in South Africa, the likely origin of Omicron, tumbled in the past six weeks from 8% to 0.2%. From 8% to 0.2%, barely higher than the flu. That is the case fatality rate in South Africa, where I believe they were 30% vaccinated population. The case fatality rate was 8% before Omicron, went down to 0.2%, which is said was barely higher than the flu. Omicron takes lives, and so does the flu. If antibodies to Omicron variants are even 50% effective in reducing the risk of death from more lethal variants, those antibodies could save far more lives than the virus cause. So what they're saying is this is uh, maybe just a good way to get vaccinated. I mean, the, the actual natural vaccine here, you get Omicron, it's hardly killing anyone, and you got some, what the New York Times calls, 
COVID immunity out there. Now, this is in no way a recommendation to go out there and try to get COVID. It's going to come to you. You don't need to make any effort. It's going to it's going to come to you. Just just probably let it do its let it do its thing. No politician will do this sort of cost benefit analysis. Europe and Latin America are in various stages of renewed lockdowns. As usual, they began long after cases were already soaring. We're talking about the slow moving bureaucracy. They don't put in these they don't put in these measures until you're already spiking in cases. It's too late at that time. There's nothing you're going to do. Sometimes, as in the Netherlands last week, the lockdowns were initiated after daily case and death counts were already receding. For the European Union, the U.S., Latin America, the latest case fatality rate is 0.5%, 0.4%, and 0.3%, respectively, down from a high of 4 and 7 during the Delta wave in June. That's a 4 and 7% rates down to 0.5 and 0.4% since Delta. If we add in the asymptomatic... Mild and untested cases, the true Omicron mortality is likely around 0.2%, roughly in line with the seasonal flu. Bureaucrats in Europe, Latin America, and some U.S. states seem to be saying, let's wait for cases to soar, then wait a little longer until the crisis is subsiding, then let's blow up the economy after it's too late to save any lives. But, once again, this narrative, I love it, lockdowns cost lives. In the U.S., excess deaths from homicide, suicide, overdose, or accident had amounted to some 82,000 between March 2020 and August 2021. During that period, the murder rate roughly doubled, and overdose deaths rose more than 50%. Meanwhile, supply chain disruptions, fear of hospitals, and delayed diagnosis collectively led to an additional 86,000 excess deaths from cancer, heart, and lung disease, and stroke. In 15 weeks through December 18th, these excess deaths, none from covid have risen by another 56,000. This is a really important one. Uh, my, my wife tells me about this one a lot. She works for a cancer research center, and they're having a, a lot more detections of late-stage cancer. Those numbers are skyrocketing, and I cannot actually put out any of that data, but I can tell you that those numbers are popping up a lot. Of course, you have a lot lower likelihood of surviving that cancer when you catch it late, and a lot of that came from the fact that people were too scared to go to the hospital to do all of their other cancer screenings and I think that is going to cause a lot of excess deaths over the next several years over the next several years true scientific method involves airing opinions and vetting hypotheses not stifling debate beyond the hard sciences it also involves asking tough cost benefit questions while anticipating unintended consequences all right so let's um, let's look one more time at a some of this other data from South Africa. I think that this is encouraging and it's something that people definitely need to pay a lot of attention to. This is how much better this is looking right now. So they have the four main waves that they went through. This is just to let everyone know how much uh, less dangerous Omicron is so far. Just looking at South Africa's numbers. Let's compare wave three and wave four, which is uh, wave four is Omicron. So the amount of people receiving oxygen therapy, uh, 74% of the people that were admitted ended up needing oxygen therapy. With the Omicron wave, it's 17.6% of the people ended up needing oxygen therapy. Receiving mechanical ventilation, 12.4% of the people in wave three needed it, 1.6% in the Omicron wave needed it. 
um, admins, admission to intensive care. 30% needed it in wave three, 18.5% in wave four. The length of stay, the median, it was seven days for wave three, three in wave four. And the deaths in South Africa from wave four are 27. And the deaths in wave three are 1,284. All right, that is, um, that's a big difference. Right, so there's a lot of reason to feel encouraged about this as long as the people that are in power decide to uh, act on the encourage, or maybe not act. Maybe look at this for being a, encouraging like it is and not act. If they were to take any actions, I would say they need to make it easier for people to get some treatments for COVID before they end up in the hospital. I was talking to the group before the episode and we were talking about these two really big interviews on the Joe Rogan podcast. It was Dr. Peter McCullough and it was Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Robert Malone, who just got banned from Twitter. He's not known for anything other than being the inventor of the mRNA vaccine technology. That's the only thing that he's really known for. But how is that relevant? That's not really important. I do recommend going and listening to both of those. I was telling everyone beforehand, I enjoyed the Robert Malone interview a lot better because he came off as less biased than uh, Peter McCullough did. He was just talking about a lot of data. He didn't really want to say what the what anyone's reasons for taking the actions were. He just, here's the data. You just make your own decisions off of it. We're all, while um, Peter McCullough kind of said he wasn't going to do that. And then he spent a couple hours doing that afterwards. The one thing I learned from those interviews, I'll just say, because I don't know, I don't know about the vaccines, you know, are they safe and effective? Statistically, uh, yeah, probably safe and effective, especially if you're older, but there's a lot of stuff out there that we don't know about a whole lot of stuff out there that we don't know about. There's a lot of shady stuff that has gone on behind the scenes on this thing that is just now really starting to come into the mainstream right now. And I'm going to keep digging into it. I'm definitely going to do that. But the, what I was talking with some of the people beforehand, we're just not going to know if they did make some kind of big mistake and these things are dangerous. We're not going to know. It's just not going to happen. So I think what we need to focus on is letting, making the government making the government allow people to do some earlier treatments. You know, when I had my little bout with COVID, it got pretty bad. I was pretty sick for, uh, you know, had a fever eight or nine days. I can't remember which one it is. I called my doctor three times during that time and was just asking like, hey, is there anything I should do about this? Should I come in? Do you want to see me? No, no, no. Just uh, let us know when you can't breathe anymore. Just let us know. And that's basically what they were telling me. They said it in a lot better way than that. But you guys you guys know what they were saying. It was just stay home and fight it out until you get to where you can't breathe. If you think your oxygen rate is, is too low, then you can come in. And there was the, the night before everything started getting really bad, or before everything started getting better, I was having a hard time breathing. My lungs were burning pretty bad. My oxygen saturation rate, saturation rate was getting pretty low. And I said, if I'm like this tomorrow, or if I continue on the same course and I'm worse tomorrow, I'm going into the hospital. And luckily, I started getting better. 
that next day. So why is it that they never told me to do anything? Nothing. They never told me to do anything. They didn't offer me antibiotics. They didn't offer me uh, steroids. They didn't tell me to take ibuprofen. They didn't ask me if I had any vitamin D in my system. They didn't ask me anything. They just said, hey, when you are uh, needing oxygen from us, then you can come in. Other than that, good luck to you, sir. That was it. That, that was it. And no one ever told me to take ibuprofen or anything like that. No one ever. Not one single time. Did anyone ever mention it? In fact, everyone was saying, don't take meds. Don't take any meds at all. You know, Tylenol and ibuprofen, those are dangerous. I, found, I heard that Fauci said you should take Tylenol one time. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm just saying that because, yeah, some people in the group are reminding me that I, uh, I didn't take anything for the first uh, eight days. And maybe I should have. I really wanted my body to do it. I wanted it to do it without any aid whatsoever. But what could have been important was taking down some of the inflammation that was going on. Inflammation's pretty bad, you know, from, from what I heard. There are medications out there. You know, there's good studies on fluvoxamine. Hydroxychloroquine, I heard, is a pretty, you can get that from fish tank cleaner. I heard that was a pretty good one that you can take. Some people said that um, there's this great horse dewormer out there that does some good things. I don't know. I could have tried that. I don't, there are things out there that people could be taking that could stop people from having to go into the hospital. But what I have learned from those two podcasts uh, on Joe Rogan, without applying anything to the dangers of the vaccines, what I did learn was there's not been very much incentive to stop people from getting sick enough that they end up having to go into the hospital. And that is something that we really should focus and put a lot of weight on because from what I can tell, there's a lot of good data behind it. And there are a good amount of people who could have been, who, whose lives could have been saved. Now, Dr. Malone said that there were 500,000 preventable deaths that have occurred. Peter McCullough, Dr. McCullough said that 85% of the deaths were preventable. What if they're what if they are exaggerating? What if they're doubling the number? What if it's only half of those numbers? What if only uh, 42.5% of them were preventable? What if uh, 250,000, like uh, from what Malone said, were preventable? Isn't that important? Isn't that 250,000 people? Just because we wouldn't allow anyone to take any medications before they went into the hospital? This is what we need to be focusing a lot of our time on. And it's what we need to focus on actually going forward. Because if we're going to live any semblance of a normal life, we got to switch away from caring about the cases. We're going to have to care about the hospitalizations and the deaths. And if you want to keep the hospitalizations down, then we're going to have to get to some of these treatments that can occur before you're actually going into the hospital. Now, has the vaccine been a fairly effective treatment to keep people from being hospitalized. You know, Charlie was sick for two days. I was sick for a couple weeks. Uh, there's, a, there's a little anecdotal study for you right there. I think that we've seen some, some pretty decent numbers on that. So it's been a fairly effective treatment, not exactly an effective vaccine, but whatever. I guess that's not important. Who knows? If there are other medications out there that people could be taking that are safe, 
then they need to be able to take them. Doctors need to be able to prescribe them without being scared that they're going to lose their license. They're going to get fired or whatever's going to happen. You need to be throwing everything you got at this thing, especially if they're medications that don't have negative side effects. Even if the efficacy is freaking 10% and there's no negative side effects, then people need to try and take the medication. All right. There's a lot of people that have died from this thing. We don't know exactly what the number is. Currently, it's saying 847,000. Some people think it's more. Some people think it's less. But a lot of those deaths could have been prevented. And that is something that we've all got to focus on. You're, you're talking 50, 100, 200, 300,000 people. That's a lot of people. And there's a lot of people that we could stop going forward to. So that is actually where we're going to leave it at today because my other half is not here to give comments on anything or present anything. So it's just going to be a shorter episode. I just wanted to give you my thoughts on, on COVID, on what we're seeing right now. From what I can tell from the numbers, it barely matters whether or not you're vaccinated with this thing. Maybe it's going to help therapeutically. Okay. We'll keep it at that. Maybe it's going to help therapeutically when it comes to actually getting COVID, the Omicron variant specifically, I don't see anything that's going to work. So we're going to have to shift to caring about the hospitalization numbers. Maybe, maybe we could push someone to show us the actual hospitalization numbers. And by that, I mean people who are hospitalized because of COVID, not people who are in the hospital with COVID. Those are very different numbers because guess what? On a daily basis, there's a lot of people in the hospital. In fact, it's very normal for these hospitals to run 85% capacity. It's pretty normal for the ERs, the ICUs. It is very normal for those to run 80, 90% capacity. And so if we're still running around those capacities, how many of these people are there because of COVID? Or how many people are getting there? They take their required COVID test and it turns out they have COVID. I'm not saying that, that it's the case that no one has COVID. I'm saying, wouldn't it be better if we actually knew the numbers? That would be a pretty important one, but you can't, you can't find those numbers anywhere. They don't exist. And why is that? Do you think they can't, you think they can't put it in the computer whether or not someone was hospitalized uh, because they needed, their, uh, they needed their appendix taken out. They happen to also have COVID. Or they're hospitalized because they came in and their COVID was so bad they needed to get on oxygen or go on a vent, something like that. I think there's no, there's, they ran out of columns in Excel. They can't put that column in Excel right there that shows whether or not you came there because of COVID or you happen to have it with COVID. We're just, we're just not seeing that data and that's a pretty important number. So we got to drill down on these, on this data so we can see whether or not we need to be worried or whether or not uh, we need to just move on with our lives right now. I'm ready to move on. I think you guys are too. If you think there was anything important in this episode, then share it with a friend, share it with a family member, share it with the children. Uh, As Charlie said, last year was really great for the podcast. It grew a lot, and that's because you guys are sharing the show. Uh, All of our social media platforms grew a bunch, especially the TikTok and the Facebook for sure grew a lot. And that's because you guys are sharing stuff. Make sure you're subscribing on YouTube. Make sure you're leaving ratings and reviews. If you do all those things, then I will talk to you again tomorrow with Charlie. Until then, have a good day and a good morning. Liberty. Liberty.